Well, thank you so much. We, um, we have been here for a little while and just kind of learning to love on everybody. And you have a similar story for us. Um, 27 years ago, let's see, I was 13 at the time. No, it's 14? Anyways, 27 years ago, we planted a church as well. And um, it's so hilarious just to begin to, to be here on your anniversary. I can remember those days for us. We um, sent out, it was a day when you sent out mail. I don't know if you guys know what that is. It's things that come in a mailbox. But anyways, during that time, you would send out like... A, thousands, like we sent out 30,000 invites to come to church. Can you imagine inviting 30,000 people to your school? And we had no idea who was going to show up, like literally no idea. So that first Sunday we had 74. It was like pretty solid, right? By the second week, we were down to like 50. By the third week, we were down to 25. And I think by the fourth week, we were down to 15, which was a manageable number manage 15. The, be- the best part about it was six of them was my family. So, And then the Lord began to go to work with us and for many, many years. And it was one of the greatest things. And, and I just want to encourage you and commend you. One Sunday, I was standing on, on the platform, and, and we cut our teeth. This is exactly what it looked like. I mean, we cut our teeth here. So this is familiar territory for us. But one Sunday, I was looking out, and, and I kind of looked out at a group much like this, much like this size. And uh, my aunt and uncle are part of that church. And I looked out, and I thought, man, you know what? God did an amazing thing. With the exception of my aunt and uncle, almost nobody here knew each other. And they had developed lifelong friendships. They've married together, buried together, cried together, gave birth together, shared joys and pains along the way. And you just kind of go, isn't that life, right? I mean, you begin to think about that's exactly what life is. That's what community is in a church. And that's what community is in fellowship. And as you begin to think about that, that's exactly what South Point has done, isn't it? So I just want to be able to say to you, from me to you, um, statistically, uh, South Point is a bit of an anomaly. Uh, I hate to say this, but um, most church plants don't make it to seven. Statistically, the number is something like this. Out of, uh, out of all the churches that start, somewhere around 80 to 90% of them don't get it to year two. That's a high, high number. And those that do make it to year two, about 50 or 60% of them don't make it to years three and four. And it begins to increase as you get on to years five, six, and seven. So I just want to say, man, you guys have got a group of people praying for you. You guys are devoted to the word. You are devoted to the fellowship. If that sounds much like Acts chapter two, then God bless you. If anybody's sold their house and you've got proceeds that you want to let go of, let me know. I'd be happy to help you out. That's the other part of Acts chapter two, if you remember that. But you begin to think about this is a beautiful body of believers. Where's my ameners? Come on now. I I, uh, was on staff with a large church and uh, Sherwood Carthen was the pastor. He was also the chaplain for the Sacramento Kings basketball team. And uh, he would preach every once in a while. um, A large, large man. 
said, never mind. I'll amen all by myself if that's what it takes. <laughs> so I love to hear from you. Um, begin to think about what your journey is and what our journey is. And I'm going to ask a few questions and I'm going to get through some of this stuff. Have you ever thought about what the goal of Bible study and sermons are? I mean, it's kind of a unique thing. If you've been around the church for very long, it's like it always comes to this time where some dude's going to get up and he's going to say something and we're going to talk or we're going to open up the Bible and we're going to get into some sort of the Bible study. And you kind of go, well, what's, what are we doing? What's the point? Why, why are we doing this? I don't know if you've ever had those questions, but here's the answer in case you, you know, want to get to the skip to the end of this part. It's all about transformation. We read the Bible, we study the Bible for the purpose of being transformed. Um, transformation is not just coming to church. I mean, we can all check off the box. Hey, I went to church today. Or if you started life groups on Friday, hey, I went to life group on Friday. And, and I begin to check off that box. But is that transformation? Somebody say. That was pretty weak. Thank you. Just going is not transformation, is it? I mean, you can, you can just be in that place, but that's not transformation. Transformation begins when we, when we get to this application. And, and I've got an equation. I'm going to give it to you today, right now, and then I'm going to give it to you at the end in case you're a slow learner. Information plus application equals transformation. I'll remind you of that a little bit later on. The story of Acts goes something like this. It begins in what we know of as the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Juan. For those of you that are from my Hispanic community, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Juan, and it goes something like this. These are the times in which Jesus began to do his ministry, and he's hanging out with the disciples, and the disciples are learning from Jesus, and he's literally showing them how to, how to do ministry. He's literally, they're not in the game yet. They're just observing. They're just kind of catching it all, taking it all in, and learning these things. And what he's doing is he's teaching them what it means to be a Christ follower. And as they begin to learn what it means to be a Christ follower, he's like, dude, not yet. You will get in the game, but not quite yet. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, for the disciples, it's all about information. Man, they're just soaking it in. They're just bringing it all in. They're like, okay, we can do this. And I believe that those first four books, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are the formation of the book of Acts. Without those four books, we don't get to that place of Acts where we're like going, okay, uh, now it makes some sense to me. So the disciples, they've gathered all this, and it has become information. Does information result in transformation? So let me, let me put it to you this way. How many of you know we should eat good things? Yeah, right? Like I, I have this illustration I love to do between broccoli and donuts. 
Like if you put out on the table, and God bless you guys who put this spread together every single week, man. I'll tell you what, I'd I'd come here. That's the only reason I'm coming, by the way. But 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 that like if you put together a dozen head of broccoli and a dozen donuts, hello, which one goes first, right? Of course, the broccoli. Why why would you think? I mean, you begin to think about it. So how many of you, we know the things that we're supposed to eat. We know the good things. We know the things that are supposed to go into our body. But then, how do we do it? Because let's be honest, donuts are good, right? They're not good for you. So, so we have the information. How many of you guys are reading labels? Who are my label readers? You know, you get to the back. of the, It's like, oh, it's got more than five things in it. I'm not buying it. And yet sometimes you're like, but those other five things, or those other 45 things, those make it pretty good. It's information, but it doesn't cause transformation. Acts becomes the get in the game moment. This is that place where the disciples get to do what Jesus taught. They've been seeing it, they've been gathering it, they've been soaking it all in, and now all of a sudden, they're going to get in the game. I'm going to do a quick little review of the book of Acts. Um, We begin at the very beginning of Acts chapter 1, and you've got the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that's the promise, and then chapter 2, verse 1, the Holy Spirit comes. Um, Peter preaches, and you remember that, 3,000 come to faith, and it's like this amazing journey. Um, Then sometimes that charge, when when Peter says, okay, you know, the, the, the leaders come to him and say, what shall we do then? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every single one of you. And we get into that, and then we have this life as a believer, which I think you guys went through a couple of weeks ago, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And you remember that. And then just this last week, Peter and John are in this place, and there's this lame beggar who's there, and, and they literally say to him, get up. Love that, right? Get up. When I was going through that, I'm thinking, man, can you imagine what it would be like to be told to, I don't even know what that means. How do I get up? What if I make a fool of myself? And yet what happened, of course, you know that. And here's the question. When we begin to talk about spiritual application, what do you do after the miracle happens and you know it was a miracle. What do you do? What do you do when, when you're on the backside of something significant spiritually that's taking place and what do you do on the backside of that? And what do you, what's your response to a miracle? If you remember from last week, Peter and John got in some pretty hot water. I mean, they got in some really tough times. I mean, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they bring them up and, and they're, they're just like full-on interrogation mode. Like, what are you guys doing? And how come you're doing this? And, and in whose name are you doing this in? And why are you doing this in our temple? I mean, they're just, they're drilling these guys and they're coming up with this, this very intense moment. And if you've got your Bibles, we're gonna go there right now. Acts chapter four, verses one through three. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, and here where we go, and as they were speaking to the people, 
the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. I'll stop right there for a second. Imagine that. They're ticked off because they're preaching in the name of Jesus. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I think right now the, the stuff that's going on in our world, there's a lot of people that need to hear about Jesus. Would you agree with me? There's a lot of people who are, who are doing things in the name of something else and somewhere else that are going, right now there is just an entire group of the world, of the nearly 8 billion people that walk this planet that need Jesus. South Point on your birthday. I want you to think right now for that one person. You don't need to think about 10, but is there one person right now in your sphere of influence that you go, that person needs Jesus? And right now, don't pray for someone else to preach Jesus to them. You might be the one. You might be the one. So here they are. They're preaching. They're teaching. The Sadducees, the leaders of the law, they come up to them. And they're like, oh, why are you doing this in the name of Jesus? And they're preaching them. And so verse 3, they arrested them and put them into custody until the next day, um, for it was already evening. And of course, you know, as Brett taught last week, there's this thought of, well, certainly if we jail them, then that'll take care of the issue, and then these guys will silence down, they'll quiet down, they'll stop doing what they're doing, and yet what Peter's response was to that entire group of people was some significant, man, he pulled out, I mean, he, he leveled them, didn't he? Do you remember that? He's like, dude, what you guys did, you guys raised, you guys crucified him, and God raised him from the dead. You guys did that, and it's in his name that I'm preaching. So don't tell me to be quiet. Here comes application. Question again, what do we do with what we know? Let's go down to verses 23 and the first part of 24. Peter and John, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. I can only imagine, imagine the small group of people that were here seven years ago. And, and Pastor Brett is out here in the middle of preaching and teaching and, and doing all this kind of stuff and, and gets, you know, gets arrested, gets thrown in jail for preaching. And uh, they can't find anything to keep him in jail, so he comes back and then he calls these people together, Kevin and Jeff and John, and calls them together and says, dude, you wouldn't believe what happened. Man, this is crazy. These guys came after me and I was, gonna, I was in fear for my life and yet I had the power of God with me and I was ready to go and I was just staying strong with all of that. Man, that's incredible. We ought to do something. And they go, yeah, let's go to Starbucks and celebrate. No. These guys go, no, you know what we should do? We should pray. Like literally, we should pray. After the miracle of these guys and what took place with this, with this lame guy, what, sh what we should do is we should go to God and we should begin to celebrate 
what God did. I'm going to ask you a couple more questions before we get going too much further. How many of you have experienced a miracle? Now, it's a trick question. Okay. How many of you experienced a miracle? Could be a physical miracle. You've been healed. Uh, could be a financial miracle. You got things in order. Could be a relational miracle. Things got, you know, could be an addiction miracle where you've been cured and you've been re- you released from all of that. It could be, those are miracles, right? And you're all going, man, thank God for that miracle. How many of you have come to faith in Jesus Christ? few of you? Some of you? All of you? How many of you have come to faith in Jesus Christ? Come on, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, right? I mean, listen, listen, this is church. It's okay to say that I'm a Christian in church. I'm just saying. I mean, it's a little trickier once you get out there, but right in here, don't be afraid. So how many of you have been saved by Jesus Christ? Yeah, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I mean, go ahead and do it. I mean, like, woohoo, the Padres just won the World Series. No, that's not going to happen. All right. The miracle is this, 2 Corinthians 5.17. You guys don't know it. You should know it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a miracle. That is an absolute living, breathing miracle. And if you have done that, if you've crossed over from darkness into light, you are a living, breathing, walking, talking miracle. So let me ask you again, if you are the recipient of a miracle, say so. Yeah. Isn't that great? Doesn't that feel good? Like, like, I can actually do this in church. Like, wow. And that will give you the strength to continue to go on. So what did Peter and John do? They go back. They go back to their friends and they begin to tell the story. And as they tell the story, they begin to lift their voice to God in prayer. Verses the second part of 24, and I'm going to go on through 30. Here's their prayer. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit this. Why did the Gentiles rage in the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed, Jesus. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate. Stop right there real quick. Um, This is kind of, this is a fun fact. You You can breathe for a second. When you're doing Bible study with either non or very early Christians, we were doing this one time, and people were reading out loud. And it was really pretty cool. This one, one lady got to this and she says, Pontius Pilate. <laughs> now you laugh, but you kind of go, I, I would have read that. I would have said Pilate, but I don't do Pilate. So I didn't know that. She apparently did. So here you go. They're 
They're going to Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, here is the prayer from Peter and John. Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Did you see what their prayer was? Oh God, we are asking you for more boldness. Lord, help us to be strong. Help us to be, to be really, really bold in what we're doing in our ministry. Let me, let me say to you, South Pointers, this. It's seven years. Sometimes I can t- attest to this because I've lived exactly where you are. And it's easy sometimes to look around and kind of go, dude, I think, we, I think we're making it. Like we might actually live. Like, like South Point might exist until year eight. Like we're going to be all right. And sometimes that becomes a trap from Satan to begin to take your foot off the gas. And you begin to go, oh, this is cool. Uh, I learned something. I didn't know this. Uh, I don't have an electric vehicle. Because, Anyways, I don't have an electric vehicle, but I learned something about this. Tell me if this is true or not. Those of you that have a Tesla, if you take your foot off the gas, is it like putting on the brake? Thank you very much for being honest back there in the room. Isn't that, there, there's a spiritual analogy to that, isn't there? If you take your foot off the gas, it's like putting your foot on the brake. And so in the same sense for you and for me, spiritually speaking, if we're going to be moving along, we're like, oh, dude, people are getting healed and people are coming to Christ and there's faith in Jesus. All this kind of stuff is happening. If we take our foot off the gas, it's like putting on the brake. Do you want to do that? No, because here's what Peter and John have done. They've said, oh God, give us boldness. Continue to give us boldness as we do exactly what we're called to do. And I wonder for you, South Pointers, and for myself, and I, you know, I'm a South Pointer. Okay, let's just, let's just call it for what it is. We're all here together. Um, are we going to keep our foot on the gas? Are we going to say, I, I'm ready for a miracle, God? Help me with that. Help me with that miracle, oh God. Help me with boldness. And as we continue to be bold in our life, this becomes application. You've been here, you've learned, you've, you're like, oh yeah, I, I, can, I, I know the difference between exegetical and I know these studies and I know topical and I know all these kinds of things and, and I know where the difference between Genesis and Galatians is and, and I know that it's revelation, not revelations. And I mean, there's all these kinds of things. I know these things, but the application comes when we get to actually put them into practice. I've often said something like this, that, you know, when, when, when it comes my time, when, when the Lord's calling me home, I don't want to have a really nice, clean uniform. I want there to be mud and grass and dirt and blood and almost drag me across the finish line in order to hear those words, well done. 
Because I do know for a fact that it's not well observed. Well watched. So we pray for boldness. We pray for boldness. It's the same boldness that you prayed for seven years ago on your soft launch as you're here. Oh God, um, you know, I, I, I was going to set up chairs for, you know, I thought I'd be, I thought I'd be like reasonable. So I'd only set up 10,000 chairs, figuring that only, you know, like a third of the people that we invited would come. So I thought, well, we'll set up 10,000 chairs. I had faith. The Lord knew what I could handle. Now I'm going to go back to your miracle for a minute. For some of you, you've come to Christ. Um, you've been in church for a long time. Like you've been, you, you've literally been in church and you're like, oh, dude, I've, I've been doing this. I know exactly what all these things are. For some of you, you've crossed over from darkness into light recently and you're just learning. Can I say that we need the boldness of all people? To go back into and lean back into your miracle, that miracle of coming to Christ, that miracle of salvation, that miracle of, of physical healing, that miracle of financial healing, that miracle of being, being healed from addiction. Can we lean back into that and begin to be able to say, oh God, I'm going to trust you even more, but oh God, give me even more boldness. How many of you guys pray publicly when you go out for a, for a meal? Yeah. Every hand in here should go up. Why? Because that's it's pretty simple, right? Why not, why not be, I mean, can, can we just say, you know, hey, you know what? I'm going to pray for my meal and let somebody else see that. Is that really super bold? Are you afraid that you're going to get killed for doing it? Some people are. Alice and I started a habit um, and habits, you know, sometimes we're better at it, sometimes we're not so good at it, but we, we really do. Uh, when we go out, we don't go out often, but when we do go out, um, the first thing we do is we call our server by name, and we, we, we interact in that way. And then at some point in our exchange, we'll ask them specifically, how can we pray for you? You want to set a server on their, on their backside? It's like, What? This is, I'm not kidding, this is how this really happened. Uh, we're at Boca de Pepo up in, in uh, Mira Mesa several years ago, and Antonio came, and we're eating lunch. We're kind of in the bar area. There's not a lot going on. And uh, we just, you know, we're going, ordered our meal, and um, he came up and said, you know, da-da-da-da, and we said, hey, Antonio, thanks very much. And um, I said, hey, you know, Antonio, how can we pray for you? He's like, what, Really? And I said, yeah, really? And he goes, well, you know, he goes through this story. His uncle is sick, cancer. His dad's got cancer. There were several things that were going on. And he was, like, broken. Like, this is what's going on in my life. Now, let's reframe this. We're in the bar area of Boca de Pepo for lunch. And I said, how can we pray for you? And he gives me the story and how we can pray. And I said, we'll pray for you. And in that moment, he knelt down. I would deal with it right now, but I can't get back up. But... <laughs> He knelt down at the side of our table and he said, let's pray now. What? 
And you might, you might go, whoa. And it's the same idea as Peter and John coming up to a lame dude at a pool and saying, what do you want? And he's like, get up and walk. A miracle. We know Antonio by name. I don't know how the Lord has worked for the rest of his story, but I do know for a fact that God used us in that moment for that story at that time and how important that was because it does take a bit of boldness, a tiny bit of boldness to be able to say, hey, how can I pray for you? And I would just encourage you, if that's a simple thing, begin by praying with your family or together for your meal when you're out and begin that way. The Apostle Paul, we're not gonna, you're not going to hear about him until chapter 9, but you, but you already do know. I'm going to go to Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 through 16. Because this is super important. Paul says this to the church in Philippi, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it on my own. I don't consider that I've, that I've figured it all out on myself by myself, but one thing I do, forget what lies behind and I strain toward what's ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if you think otherwise, I love this then God's going to just like deal with you. That's, but verse 16 is really what I want to get to. Only let us hold true to what we have already attained. In other words, if this isn't your first rodeo, if this isn't your first time in church, if this isn't the first time that you've heard Acts or Philippians or Pontius Pilate, I mean, if, you, if this isn't your first time and you've learned something, if you know something, if you know that John 3.16 is in the Bible for you, if you know that, then you are supposed to live up to that. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. We know, we know that we are saved by faith. Amen? We know that our hearts and minds are guarded in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. We know that his peace goes beyond our understanding, right? How many of you find that easy to live by? That's application. We know all of this stuff. We know the information and the application is, okay, God's going to give you a circumstance in your life in which you can apply that idea of being saved by faith, that idea of guarding your heart and mind in Christ Jesus, that idea that his peace goes beyond. We know those things. God's going to give you those opportunities. Um. I have a story of a miracle. I was lame, and I learned how to walk. That's not physically, 
but I was academically lame. What do you mean by that? Um, I wasn't always a pastor. And when the Lord called me into ministry, I reminded the Lord how lame I was. I hated school. If it wasn't for sports and music, I, thought, I said multiple times I'd still be in school. If there wasn't age limits, I probably would have aged out at some point. But, but I was academically lame, and I was pretty proud of it. And I began to tell the Lord, you know what, you can call me in to do whatever you want, but I don't study, and I don't learn things, and I don't really care. Yikes. And God goes, cool, I can use you. <laughs> and then those, those metaphoric words that happen, Tim, get up. Huh? What do you mean get up? Get up and go study. Uh, I don't know how. I didn't ask you if you knew how. Get up and go study. I'm going to fast forward. The Lord worked actively in my life through a bachelor's degree and through a master's degree and through those things that we hang on the wall that we're super proud of. And the reality is, I didn't do any of those. It's through the power of God that worked in me that was able to say, you're lame, I know it, I want you to get up and I want you to walk. Get up. Now what are you going to do with your miracle, Tim? Well, I didn't do it. So I can't say, look what I did. All I can say is, by the grace of God, look what he did. You know, you can't save you. You can't. You can't build this church. You can't save anyone, but the power of God in you can. You want to get to transformation? You ready for this? Go to verse 31, chapter 4. I promise you we're going to get there. Peter and John, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God. Say this out loud with me, please. With boldness. There you go. Yeah, thank you. They continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And they were like, oh, I get it. This is exactly what we're supposed to do. Now, this is not a reminder of what took place in chapter 2. Because that, we've already got that event. This is another event in which God says, oh, you want, you want to see the transformation? You want to feel the transformation? You want to know that I'm in this? Get ready because I'm going to pray and the, and the walls are literally going to shake. And when they did, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak with boldness. Transformation is this. It is super evident. I'm telling you, it is super evident. Um, I, I, how many of you go to the gym? <laughs> never mind, never mind, don't, don't raise your hand. Because I would, I would say something like this. Um, if, you say, if you tell people like, oh, dude, I'm going to the gym, and I'm, I'm really going to the gym, you, it better be evident, Amen. Right? I'm just saying, it's got to be evident. There's got to be, somebody's got to be able to look at you and go, wow. You've been working, you've been working out, you've been working out. 
Because, because there's that sense of, I can see the transformation that's taking place. And here's where this application really comes down for us is this. Don't just say I went to church today. Because we could all say that we go to the gym. But if, you're, if you say it, I went to church today, then, then when you hit those doors and when you walk out of here, transformation needs to take place. Transformation is what you live, not between now and, and life group on Friday, but between now and when you get to the car. And now, and once you get to the car, you get to the street. And once you get to the street, you get to the bigger street. And once you get, I mean, that's where transformation, because it's very evident that you've been in church. What was the prayer of Peter and John? Not that they would, that they would continue in the path that they were. The prayer of Peter and John was this, that they would receive more boldness. And maybe just a practice for us, for you, is to go, well, Lord, I'll start by praying publicly. Can't hurt. And maybe I'll work it up to asking my server what their name is. And maybe I'll work it up to saying, hey, can I pray for you? Maybe I'll work it up to, you know, my, my neighbor. When we planted our church, we had a gal that says, I'm, I'm just praying that the Lord will open the door for me to go share our faith with our neighbor. And that, she prayed that prayer for, seemed like years. And I said, Terry, why don't you go knock on the door? I got an idea. Um, why don't you just go over there and knock instead of waiting for her to come across the street and ask you, hey, where do you go every Sunday morning? I mean, those are the kinds of things that begin to work in boldness. These days that we're experiencing right now are not unlike the days of Jesus, are they? There's political unrest. There is political unrest. There is spiritual unrest. Nation against nation, brother against brother. Does that sound familiar to some of you? And we, in our current culture, have the opportunity to sit back and sometimes from the, from the comfort of our own home with, with whatever snack that we have in front of us, broccoli likely, but we're in front of the, the TV and we're watching these things go on. Rarely impacted by, by the events of the culture. And yet we kind of, we're sickened by it and we're like, oh God, that's really, that's too bad. Hey, could you pass the broccoli? My challenge and encouragement to you is this. That we, that we, after the miracle, I think it's well documented right now that nearly every single person in this room is the recipient of a miracle. Amen? That you are now charged with the responsibility like Peter and John to pray, oh God, thank you for that miracle. Now Lord, give me boldness. Now give me boldness. As tomorrow comes, as the next day comes, 
scared to death. My first day of Bible college, I did not know the difference between a syllabus and a city bus. You laugh. True story. But oh God, give me boldness. Help me. Help me. Let me close with this, and Adrian, you guys can come on up. Romans chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. Great passage of scripture that helps us along the way. First chapter 1 begins, you know, this, or verse 1 begins with this, you know, giving our bodies as spiritual act of worship. But then, verses 2 and 3, which do this. Are they up there? Oh, they're not. My bad. I've got them. That remind us to not become conformed to the world. Don't become conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And the boldness of God will literally just consume you. Are you ready for that today? Amen. Yeah, yeah. Um, I hope, and my prayer has been for this day for you, um, for us, that I like you, become a liver of those words that I become evident that I'm walking in boldness. That even though I've also received the spiritual miracle of salvation, I've also received the academic miracle of being brought from being lame into being less lame. Um, And how the Lord will continue to work. And so I just will challenge you and I'm going to pray. Um, but I would challenge you in this way. What is it? What is it that's holding you back? Is there something that's holding you back from just saying, God, I'm yours. (laughs) I'm going to stand in front of the Sanhedrin. I'm going to stand in front of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. I'm going to stand in front of them and God, I'm going to pray for boldness. Is there anything holding you back? Pray against sin in your own life. Pray against the spirit of discouragement. Pray against all of those things that will just go, ah, and get to that place of saying, okay, God, now I'm ready to go with boldness. If that's you, I'm just going to bow, ask you to bow your heads and let the Holy Spirit work in you. Father God, this morning, we thank you. Thank you that we can trust you. And when we come to you, that you are so good. You are, we sing about it, you're a good, good father. We thank you for that. And um, Lord, yeah, our our hearts are drawn to Israel right now. And uh, of course, the word is so clear. Those that will bless and protect his chosen, they will be blessed and protected. And so, Lord, we pray for wisdom. We pray for your will to be done. We pray, God, 
for the beginning of the next chapter of South Point Church here in Chula Vista. Lord, it's about building the kingdom. And we pray for that. Pray for now those that are praying for boldness and for that work of God in their life. We pray that you would be with us this day in Jesus' name.